Right now, a future president could be running as a local candidate on your ballot. This person is vying to represent you, your family, and your community. Do you know what they are and what they stand for? Vote411.org is your tool for accurate and unbiased, up-to-the-minute election information on the candidates running in local races. Just enter your address to get started. Your vote is your power, the power to decide who represents you in 2022 and beyond. Get online, get the facts, and make your voice heard on election day. waste any time because uh i'm already running behind and i'm sure you have many things to get to um so uh let's just start from the tippy top and let everybody know who you are and what office you're running for okay um my name is amy peruso and i'm running for district 46 um in the state house so that includes Wahiwa, Whitmore Village, Laonani Valley, um, all the way out to Ka'ana Point. So we have a newly expanded district and we'll also now include YPO Acres, which is traditionally understood to be more a part of Mililani. And so um, if you're on Maui, you might not really understand the geography of what I just described um, or the geopolitics, but... Um, I'm starting to learn, and I want everybody to learn together, no matter what island they're on. So, I, because I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I did look at your district map, and I'm actually noticing that, like, as I'm starting to learn uh, all the geopolitics of the region moving back, is that like we have some districts that have finally like expanded. Some are are still being checked and questioned on whether or not they need to be moved or or resituated. But you, in your case, could you explain to uh, viewers who don't understand what that means when redistricting happens? Sure. So I think, well, the redistricting is complete and final. So what we have in place right now will be in place for the next 10 years. Um, and um, essentially what we saw is um, the extraction of um, folks who had been counted in the census but are not residents 
So primarily folks in the military who are not residents, they don't declare residency here they, and they don't vote here and they don't pay taxes here. So what happened in the last round of reapportionment was um, those folks were extracted from the total count, uh, which means that to create a district, create districts in the house that have uh, about equal numbers, um, the, the house actually lost a seat on Oahu and um, Hawaii Island gained the seat. So what that means for my district, actually, I think um, mine was one of the most intensely affected because now my district includes what used to be two house districts, most of what used to be two house districts, because I now um, have uh, both bases. So Schofield, Schofield Barracks and then Wheeler Airfield are also now in my district. So, but because those, the population that lives there, um, uh, men, I would say most of them are not counted for the purposes of our, um, our reapportionment. So that's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I think that, you know, of course, I'm still meant to represent them. They're still my constituents, um, but they don't count, if that makes sense, in terms of like, determining the size of the district. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Transient property. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, exp- go, going backwards, because now that we've, we've given everybody a little bit of info there, um, I think you're, you're about our, our, our fourth uh, representative to play, and uh, we, we've gotten pieces of the definition of your job, and I would love, from your point of view, to be able to explain that to people, because I feel that in a lot of cases, when it comes to civic engagement from the, the voter side, is in a lot of cases, they don't know what to ask of the politician they're talking to. Because then they uh-huh. all like to talk about the big picture and then be like, hold on, sister, I like solve world hunger, but that's that guy's job, <laughs> you know? Okay. okay, yes. So actually, levels of government and um, federalism are really important to understand because then you can, as you said, direct your questions appropriately. Um, so the state government is responsible for public education, um, for the state highways, for the state parks, also for, um, you know, uh, public Department of Public Health, Department of Health, um, Department of Public Safety. So we have these state functions and they're, they're not, you know, the nitty gritty pothole and sewage uh, functions of the city and county. So um, there is, it's important to differentiate. And um, I think that so I would say a few things about my responsibilities. Um, I came into this work as a social studies, a civics teacher of 20 years. And um, I also came into it as a union organizer, a union leader. I was a state leader for HSTA. And um, so my initial um, objectives with this job had a lot to do with organizing communities to advocate for themselves um, around public education issues and to and improving public education. Um, and I think that as I've gotten more engaged in the work, I, I've developed kind of, I mean, of course, we are meant to, like, we are, our 
uh, advocating for our constituents through legislation. So we um, work with community members, draft legislation, um, try to help others understand the importance of that legislation and try to get it passed. Um, but I think that it, our job goes far beyond that um, because I think that when uh, a representative is strong and can connect community members and be a community, help community solve problems, then that community member is a lot stronger. Like it's nowhere on our job description, but I think communities really feel it when the person they've elected is not really engaged in that work. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I would take a first stab at that question. Dig it. All right. Well, before we get into into the the deeper parts of everything let's uh let's give everybody the backstory on you so you you mentioned uh your teaching history your union leader history uh so what is there anything else that makes up uh you know the history of you that it is a contribution to this role hmm. well that's a good question i mean i think about that a lot because to keep going to keep running for office you have to remind yourself like why was i motivated initially and am I still motivated? <laughs> you know? um, and I think that um, I've always been really engaged in uh, movements around social justice and economic justice in particular, um, and in workers' movements. Like That has just been who I've been since I was a high school student. Um, and so I, I really connect to that part of the work in a really strong way. Um, and then I think also being a parent um, politicized me even more um, because uh, when I had my daughter, I realized that um, the world was not ready for, <laughs> you know, for women, like to, to treat women equally and to, and especially um, young women of color. So I think that um, my personal history definitely ties into how I feel about this work and, and what motivates me to keep you know, moving in this area, but, um, yeah, the political is personal. <laughs> Righteous. So, uh, with that being said, what, what are the, what are the biggest things that you aim to approach this next round in? If you, if you get back in. Ah, okay. I think that's super easy because we have so much work to do. We had a great session this last cycle. Um, but, we have so much work to do as vice chair of the um, committee on agriculture. I've been really uh, trying to move, move us not just towards food security, but also food sovereignty yes. and to really help foster the conversations that um, will empower the kinds of sustainable agriculture that we really need to have. Um, so we passed some legislation around healthy soils, carbon sequestration and agriculture in particular that I'm super proud of. Um, and we're doing work around um, investing in uh, native fish ponds and a native fish hatchery. Also super excited about that. But we spend so little money um, on agriculture here. And um, we have enormous public lands. So thousands of public land, of public land, thousands of acres of public lands are under the control of ADC, for example, on Kauai. And they're not being utilized at all. Um, they're prime agricultural lands, and um, and yet we have kind of, you know, 
a, a dearth of public farmlands available for our young people who are coming up. Our, our, you know, we have young people who are interested in farming. I mean, I have former students who, much to my surprise, because, you know, some of these students were more interested in computer science or the arts or other things. And now they're super passionate about growing food. Um, so we need to support them on the other end to provide the capital, to provide land, the access to water that they need to do this work. And I think that's um, something that's really driving me hard in, into the next session. Did you? Oh, wow. So um, I, I find that interesting, you know, because I'm starting to hear that shift a little bit, you know, when, when I talk to parents, you know. I mean, even younger kids, sometimes mine turns to me and I'm like, that's some like grade a second year college stuff bro you're only eight years old like <laughs> so like when i when i hear kids go from i want to be an astronaut to a, i want to be one farmer you know it's like i look at the the ripple effect of decisions that kids make and how early they make them you know it's like how late did our parents to decide to stick to their safety job and how soon yep. do children feel uncomfortable in a world that is in triage mode that they go you know what it's the apocalypse i think i should learn how to grow things <laughs> Yeah. So, um, uh, small question about about all, all that that sustainability. You know, this last week, um, some people got a little footless online about uh, about the upgrades to the the kids' uh, lunch menus because that that lettuce. And oh, I was yeah. like, you know, I was like, you know how much work it takes to get that lettuce just to happen. And they were saying, you know, and and I gotta say because I'm not saying this in and like stoke any weird fires or anything or start a fight, yeah. but it's really. Yeah. Like, I don't think, because I come from half of my family, farming family, you know, when my grandfather was back those ways. But, like, like I understand what it takes to get something to the table. My dad's in packaging. He works for yeah. Dan. And so, like, I, I know how much it takes to get the yogurt to the table. So I can only imagine yep. how much it takes to get lettuce to the table. And when a promise was, like, 30% plate is good by, like, 2030, to say that, like, by 2022, we already got, like, a whole side that's there. You know, it, that was kind of a positive thing. So I felt that you guys were kind of like just the, the state in general, getting the machine movie on that. People were like, yeah, you got lettuce. Okay, what else you got? You know, and everybody else is like, they don't kind of realize the timetable on, on things like that. Okay, well, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because, um, yes, I appreciate the lettuce. And I think that every step is important. Um, but I've been part of this work since I was a teacher at Millennium High School and they did Ina Pono. And it was a pilot that showed us that not only can we do this and not only do kids like, you know, place-based, culturally um, kind of appropriate meal planning that comes from local farms, uh -huh. not only will they eat it more, but we save money. Um, so we knew all that, like, a decade ago. Shoots. Um, oh, wait. So this is the yeah. part. See, this is why I got to catch up on things. Like, I, you're giving me, like... <laughs> we had the reports. We had all the studies done. So, oh. I mean, my... Oh. I mean, I, I think that, yes, uh, the lettuce is important, but um, we've really got to somehow move principles, um, incentivize principles, so that they are... Um, really encouraging their cafeteria managers and managers and their cafeteria workers to be doing this scratch cooking with local produce. Because if it doesn't happen, if the principals are not driving it, it won't happen. 
principals are in charge of their schools. So the superintendent and the assistant superintendent, um, Tanaka, like they can, we can set state goals all we like. Oh. But if, yeah, we don't, there's like nothing, this there's nothing in a principal's evaluation that makes his job in any way connected to how much local food his cafeteria uses. Mm. So until we make that shift, until we like make that direct connection for principals so they see, oh yes, the public sees this is important, so I'm going to do it. This has been available to principals for a decade and very few are moving on it. And in part because we need to eliminate some procurement barriers and we also need to regionalize menus. We cannot have like one state-based menu where everybody is expected to eat the same thing on yeah, the same day. No thing as a That's irrational. Meal, yeah. But it's also got to come from, like what I saw at Milani High School, and it happened at Kohala as well, is that the leadership came from the principals. And we've got to really start having those conversations. Or, you know, we can procure all the lettuce we want, and we can put it on plates, but if there's no change in what's happening with that larger menu on the kids' plates, they're still going to just throw it out, you know? Dig it. All right. So how do we give parents the pitchforks they need? Is this like... <laughs> Are we like? Are we supposed to be showing up at a PTA meeting and telling them this? I'm not. Saying that. I'm not saying pitchforks, but I am saying. Oh, you like don't have to. School... I can. It's okay. <laughs> there are school community councils that you know are a way that the community is supposed to interact with the principal. There's also like, you know, the board of education. If the board of education heard this, then they might be incentivized to. Um, tweak the principal evaluation so that it incorporates something about you know meeting our our farm to school objectives right so but i'm just saying i'm just pointing out the disconnect as long as the mm -hmm. principals their job has nothing to do with the farm to school movement nothing will change right on uh, no and that's that's exactly why i'm asking all you guys to come on here and explain this because like Quite frankly, we could talk about promises all day and stuff like that. But, like, I yeah. think the more that yeah. people understand how to talk to you the same way I'm talking to you now is they, they can get their questions answered and nobody goes home angry or believing in a boogeyman when apathy was the problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, with that being said, let's... We, we've only got so much time and I would love yeah. to rage about that lettuce all day now that you've like, uh, you have, you have, not, it's, you've not only unlocked my mind, but you have now given my rage a new path to pursue on the matter. Cause I was like, yay, I'm we was doing trying, something. I'm not trying to make people rageful. I'm oh, just no, trying it's to okay. say like, it keeps things me are alive. super complicated and also super simple at the same exact oh, yeah. time. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it's the Occam's razor that causes the great ennui of America. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so, um, lettuce aside, um, I mean, do you? So, I, 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 you know, I'm sorry. Let me let me scale back there a second. I'll squish a little space out of this in editing. This is why I pre-record. Um, You can ask me about the minimum wage stuff. Oh, actually, that's my that was my next note, and I was like trying to uh, trying to find the right wording to start with there. But I loved this is my favorite conversation is minimum wage. So please, <laughs> okay. where would you like to start, madam? Where would I like to start with? 
as far as minimum wage, I mean, quite frankly, oh. like the working class is realizing that it's a little too low, but like the small business yeah. class doesn't know how to move forward in inflation meanwhile the corporate class is just shaming the bottom to eat itself so i i, I yeah. yeah yeah well i think that fortunately um a lot of small businesses have already are have already moved away from the fa- away from the minimum wage faster than um the state has oh yeah so i mean i i think that the, the adjustment the initial adjustment is i think going to be felt most um, by those big corporations who we are currently subsidizing, like Walmart and Target and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, and even those guys, many of them are already above our current levels for the minimum wage. And I think that once a new standard goes into place, um, I, I honestly don't, you know, there might be some, um, unanticipated consequences in farm labor. Uh, we haven't really looked closely at that sector. Well, I mean, um, I, I'd like to interrupt you right there because I have a big question about that in the farm labor department. Like, yeah. w- would this have any positive impact on reducing the amount of woofer farms in existence? You know, I don't know if it will because I don't know that those folks. Uh, I don't. I don't really know the contract relations that they have i don't know um yeah i don't really understand them very well yeah so because like i I feel that like two of the biggest two of the biggest gray areas in employment in hawaii are woofer farms and low budget movies Mm. and so like i mean that it's the the two places where like convincing young children into contracts they don't understand for like pennies a day is like the gambit and like i mean to some degree, they're exercising their capitalist right to exploit the loopholes in the system to convince some young, impressionable child to sign a 1099 contract and not bargain right. for any of their own standards. Right. But I mean, it's I mean, but I think that that's where like where, you know, some of the employment laws and even minimum wage laws could help reduce that. Because, I mean, like I, I was talking to some uh, some some guys running for governor and you know i when i mentioned low budget pictures and the fact that like you get all these mainland movies that come out and they'll use as much as their budget they can locally to qualify for the county and the state tax incentives so that way they can spend one dollar here and take four dollars home on their flop and then they're paying kids like sixty dollars a week yeah you know yeah no, and that's that's um, <laughs> you know that I need to I need to learn more about the woofer situation, and I I honestly I'm sad to say I, I don't know enough about how it works and how that um, pattern of exploitation is able to be perpetuated, um, and because so that kind of goes to your question, um, what if I know whether it will address that, and I I really don't. Um, and, and it should. And so this is probably um, one thing that we'll, I'd like to look into more in this session. Um, and, and I think, too, that uh, we have a lot of work still yet to do. Uh, I mean, I am grateful that we made the EITC permanent and refundable because it's good for my community. Mm-hmm. I have about 21% of, my, of the families in my community um, applied for and qualified for EITC. So... And it's, 
I, I think we have the fourth highest in the state. Wow. Um, yeah. So I know that it's meaningful for my community. Um, and we still, we still get pushback from some business owners um, about minimum wage. And I think the most troubling as a former high school teacher, the most troubling pushback is, um, you know, that we shouldn't be paying uh, a living wage to high school students. And um, I can't even, like, there's some part of my brain that just, like, explodes a little bit oh, every time yeah. someone I feel you, sister. I, th- I feel that there's an ethics disconnect because like it's the difference between a between just a, a reckless capitalist and a conscious capitalist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like all well, these guys want to play big five steel baron like they're going to own the plantation patch one day. But then nobody thinks about like, OK, well, how long can you run your ice cream stand for if nobody can buy ice cream after working for you? Yeah. But it's also it's a larger question, too, because it kind of I mean, there's this underlying assumption that young people um, stop doing their extracurriculars, take the risk of doing uh, less well in school to take an after-school job for fun. And my experience has 100% been that their family is experiencing economic pressure mm-hmm. and that job is needed. So to treat them as though their labor is surplus and extra and they're just like, shopping for new shoes i i mean and it's also my family experience too right like that was never the case for me like it was never extra there was no extra you know and um i just think that people who employ kids and they choose to see their lives through that lens i it's hard to have a conversation about it for me and i i have to figure out how to do it because you know, stewing in my own frustration is not helpful, but, um, yeah, it just, it feels so myopic, you know? Oh yeah. No, youth and handicapable people, I feel are the most exploited when it comes to the minimum wage conversation. Cause like I, 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 on the mainland for a brief term did some coordinated work with goodwill. And then I, I realized that how much of a bad choice it was to be able to know how that chocolate was made. Because then recognizing, like, they pull the whole, we get jobs for people who can't get jobs. And then you go backstage, and there's, like, 600 poor destitute, like, I live in a coffin apartment, and a lady checks on me, and, like, I I am barely functional to society, but these people have deemed me for slave labor, so here's $1.85 an hour. Yeah. And it's, you know, I... I think I was the first person to introduce a bill that would abolish the subminimum wage. I did that in 2019, and we finally just did it last year. Um, but this whole time, we've been paying them pennies, mm-hmm. really. So, um, I mean, I I understand the importance of, um, you know, one step at a time. Cause, but honestly, some of these things, how can we call ourselves, you know, a democratic state. We are, like, almost completely controlled by Democrats. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we have such abysmal policies and laws in place. Well, I, I think we've kind of been on this, like, colonial stagnation. Like, I, I feel that there's, since there's so much lacking local education 
and that mm-hmm. Hawaii from the start was created on carpetbaggers. I mean, like the state, yep. you know, how, how the whole the seats were created. Every time a manifest, new manifest destiny state occurred, not many people realized that like and able to put people in office, you everybody's just moving in. You know, yeah. and, and that was in yeah. a time where yeah. where Hawaiians didn't have a say. The local population didn't have a say on who was coming in. It was just like, hey, uh, de facto president, cool. Now you're a governor. Um, we need some mayors over here, and uh, could you change the lights, please? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of light bulbs that have just been left in place since '59, and some people yeah. are just figuring out how to use them. You know, and like I, you know, like I said earlier, like I come from a line of bureaucrats, and I love paperwork because it gets you what you want if you know how to fill it out. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunities and I'm not a fan of the bootstrapping, like pull yourself up conversation because I know how long it takes to get out of in an an inequitable scenario to then find an equitable scenario in this life. So, like, I I find that it's just the access and the knowledge of it. It just keeping people a foot away from it has been enough for the past few decades for Hawaii to just be lurching on this very slow pendulum that never goes one way or the other. But people feel like they're batting it around every year like they did something like the model. Yeah. Wait, hello? Hello, hello. Oh, you got cut off at the end. Oh, no, it's okay. I I uh I I I I trailed off and mentioned the monorail, but that's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would love to yeah. talk about mass transit another time. I'm totally pro mass transit, but I think that's another systemic issue that, like, that's that's a barrel of monkeys for another time. And we actually don't have a lot of time left because everybody's only getting about 20, 25 minutes on these first segments. So my next question <laughs> is, I enjoyed talking with you today. Could I catch up with you in about a month or so's time to see how everything's going? Maybe have some more questions from the people in your neck of the woods or maybe you know, have questions that can get answered by you. So then that way I know how to answer, ask the questions locally on Maui of your doppelganger over here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Dig it. Dig <laughs> it. All right. So before you go, let everybody know how they can get in contact with you, uh, when they can talk story with you next, how they can understand your campaign online and analog. Okay. So um, I'm pretty active on Facebook. I do like a monthly third Thursday and we talk about, I mean, it's only fascinating for people in my community usually, but sometimes we do more like larger topical issues. Um, but those are fun. So, um, and then I'm just going to be canvassing. So um, people in my community can look for me on the doors. I'm going to be knocking and talking for the next, I guess, two months or so. And I'll be sign waving um, weekday mornings as people in the dark, as people go to work. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think just doing events as they come up, but, um, thank you for this conversation. It was, it was really fun. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we had the time for it. Yeah. All right. right. Well, you have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. Mahalo. Yeah. Mahalo. Aloha. <gasps> Rabbit Holes is a Manavakal production. This episode was produced by Kadika Hoke and Sarah Rodriguez. Make sure to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcast platforms to add our weekly episodes to your queue.